Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you could be with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, crazy news for conservatives today. And Jim, our good martini is kind of a lot like Monday's good martini when we talked about how Bahrain was part of the uh, Abraham Accords, uh, which originally started as normalization of relations between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. Now Bahrain and Israel have normalized relations. Yesterday, on a beautiful day here in Washington, the leaders of all three of those countries, plus President Trump, uh, putting pen to paper to sign them. Wonderful day. And as the president uh, left later in the day on the South Lawn, uh, he said that we have not necessarily seen the last of this. In fact, he's confident several more nations could be coming on board. And we have many other countries going to be joining us, and they're going to be joining us soon. Uh, we'll have, I, can, I mean, I think seven or eight or nine. We're going to have a lot of other countries joining us, including the big ones. We already have the big one, but including the big ones. So we talked about Saudi Arabia perhaps inching that way with the imam's uh, address in Mecca late last week. Jim, uh, there's several other Gulf Arab states that could be part of this, but Saudi Arabia is considered uh, the big fish, which would be amazing. Can't put the cart before the horse, but uh, pretty good sign. Indeed, Greg. There's one more piece of evidence to toss on the pile. I am sure in addition to many listeners of our podcast, I assume you're reading National Review every day, but there are lots. You, you want a varied news diet. And my suspicion is you probably haven't read the Times of India very often, unless you happen to have a real interest in what's going on in India. Uh, it's an article that just came up, you know, just a short while ago when I started looking for more information on, you know, potential movement within the, the attitudes of Saudi Arabia. So uh, back on September 5th, uh, Abdulrahman al-Sudais, who is the imam of the Grand Mosque in Mecca, was giving a sermon. It was broadcast on Saudi state television. And it came three weeks after the United Arab Emirates had agreed to this historic deal to normalize relations, but right before Bahrain, the close Saudi ally, had made a similar move. And, you know, this is a guy who in the past has said he's prayed for Palestinians to have victories over the invaders and aggressor Jews and such. Very different tone in this sermon. All of a sudden, he talked about how the prophet Muhammad was good to his Jewish neighbors. And he argued that the best way to persuade Jews to convert to Islam was to, quote, treat them well. Not what we are used to seeing in any officially state-sponsored and state-broadcast sermon from an imam. Now, does this mean that Saudi Arabia is going to sign a peace deal or recognize uh, Israel imminently? Not necessarily. But it does seem like a really interesting, unexpected development in in how Saudis see Israel. Uh, This imam is indeed appointed by the king. He's one of the country's most influential figures. And if he's saying this, the belief from outside observers, this kind of reflects some of the conservative religious establishment as well as the royal court. In other words, this is sort of setting the stage within the Saudi public for a move like this. Does it guarantee this move is coming down the pike? No, but it's really interesting and does suggest that things are moving in this direction. But of course, there's always that old saying about not counting your chickens until they hatch. No, that's clearly the case. And I think we got some indication that Trump might not be overstating this, maybe is a little bit on the numbers, but we'll find out in due time, uh, because the Palestinians, of course, tried to raise a huge ruckus over this and, and protest this and perhaps browbeat UAE and Bahrain into backing away from the deal. And the Arab League, not exactly historically the greatest friend of the Israelis, came in, basically told the Palestinians, 
shut it. We're doing this. Just let it go. And so uh, something is definitely changing in the region. And as you have said before, I don't know if Joe Biden's going to try and take credit for this, but in a backhanded way, uh, their embrace of the Iranians and the Iranian nuclear deal drove a lot of these neighbors uh, in the region, especially Sunnis, uh, to decide that uh, while they might not uh, have the warmest feelings towards Israel, uh, there's a far more existential threat coming from Iran. Indeed, Greg, you know, you ha- I would rank this, uh, the, the recent, you know, developments between Israel and Bahrain and Israel and the United Arab Emirates as really one of the great foreign policy accomplishments of the Obama administration. Now, admittedly, they weren't trying for this, and this is a consequence of one of their worst moves, but still, I'm, I'm in a generous mood. I'll give them a little credit for that, even though they weren't trying to do this by any stretch of the imagination. When the fact that this is happening because everyone in the region was horrified by the Obama administration's conduct with respect to the Iranians, I would say that's extraordinarily generous. Uh, everything happening here is because of the incompetence of the Obama administration. Hi, I'm Sarah Carter. On every edition of the Sarah Carter podcast, I say we're taking back the story. And that's exactly what we have to do. Whether it's the Russia hoax, the relentless attacks on President Trump, pretending Antifa doesn't exist, or covering up for the repressive Chinese government, the mainstream media isn't interested in the truth. It's up to us to uncover the truth and share it with others. Please join me in taking back the story on the Sarah Carter podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini, and we are back to the virus and back to China. Uh, This is an explosive story, Jim, but I think it's one that you have talked about before, and perhaps uh, the rest of the media is just catching up with this. But this is uh, the New York Post version of the story. A Chinese virologist who has reportedly been in hiding over fear for her safety has stepped out into the public eye again to make the explosive claim that she has scientific evidence to prove that COVID-19 was human-made in a lab in China. Dr. Li Meng Yan, a scientist who says she did some of the earliest research into COVID-19 last year, made the comments Friday during an interview on the British talk show Loose Women. When asked where the deadly virus that has killed more than 900,000 around the world comes from, Yan, speaking via video chat from a secret location, replied, it comes from the lab, the lab in Wuhan, and the lab is controlled by China's government. Uh, she insisted that widespread reports that the virus originated last year from a wet market in Wuhan are, quote unquote, a smokescreen. Quote, the first thing is the market in Wuhan is a smokescreen, and this virus is not from nature. She says she got her intelligence from the CDC in China and from local doctors. She's previously accused Beijing of lying about it when it learned of the killer virus and engaging in extensive cover-up work. She also says she's going to be releasing the evidence that she has. And uh, when you've got nefarious figures like the Chinese, it's usually better to just release it than uh, tell people you're going to release it. So that way it actually gets out before they can actually get to you. But uh, Jim, I know you've uh, done a lot of work looking at what the labs were and weren't doing there. So what do you make of these allegations? Yeah. So I I did see one or two articles about this before this occurred. I, I do feel a little lax in my coverage of the virus, Greg. I, part of it's that I just haven't been watching the British talk show Loose Women as frequently <laughs> as I ought to. Uh, which is one of the reasons I am not immediately jumping all over what Dr. Li Mingyan is saying. She, what she's saying could very well be true. I am among those who have believed the possibility of an accidental release from either the Wuhan Institute of Virology or the Wuhan Center for Disease Control is a very strong possibility. Now, what it's worth, she goes a little bit further. 
She says that this was um, not from nature, she says, indicating that there's some degree of genetic engineering. Uh, she said it was based on the Chinese Military Institute that, quote, discovered and owned some bad coronavirus named CC45 and ZXC41. Based on that, after lab modification, becomes a novel virus. If you have the evidence, as she claims, I would prefer that you just put it out there. Uh, I, I also probably a British chat show, Loose Women, would probably be, not be the first venue I would want to inform the world about at a, a charge as explosive as this. Um, I, I, you know, there's, there's a, if you have the evidence, put it out there. I, I don't quite understand what the delay is. I don't know if there's any particular like special time. Like, if you got it, show it. Put your cards out. It is September 16th as we are having this conversation, Greg. We have been dealing with this as a daily factor in our lives since March. Some people were noticing this back in January. If you got the evidence, put it out there. I don't see any point in delaying it. The second thing about possibility of genetic engineering, look, a lot of specifics in that claim. And not be the least bit surprised if China is still involved in researching biological weapons. They have never admitted that they did so, but there are enough reports over the years to indicate that certainly they were doing so at least until the 1980s. And they have never quite said and, you know, uh, opened up their labs to inspection. But the question then is, did you genetically engineer it and like you're splicing genes together? Most virologists say they don't see any evidence of this in this. Or there are situations in which you can advance the growing of a, and kind of the evolutionary cycle of a virus. Now, does that count as genetically engineered or, or, or made in a lab? I don't know. Um, so, you know, one of the rules of this is be a little careful if something seems a little too perfect. Look, we will see if this doctor has the evidence uh, in the meantime, I'd like her to, yeah, I know she's operating from a uh, secure location. She's worried about Chinese, I assume, state security or other uh, intelligence apparatuses or, you know, security apparatuses trying to silence her. I'm, I'm, that's a reasonable concern. But if you've got evidence, I would really recommend you put it out there because otherwise you just turn into one more person making claims on a chat show uh, instead of bringing it to medical and legal authorities so they can uh, get a definitive answer to this once and for all. Excellent advice. She's already been banned from Twitter. I'm not sure whether that gives her more credibility or less credibility uh, these days. But uh, anyway, Jack doesn't want to have anything to do with her, at least for now. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And I hate to put you on the spot, but I'm going to ask you a very obscure trivia question about the 2020 presidential campaign. Who is the Republican nominee for Vice President of the United States. <laughs> um, it's the guy from Indiana who ran around with Johnny Quest a lot, right? <laughs> I remember the name of that character. But yeah, Mike Pence, but uh, my understanding is not every ballot uh, sees it the same way. No, no, no. Let's go to my beloved home state of Michigan, which if you're a regular listener know that they want to send out applications and did send out voter absentee ballot applications to everyone on the rolls including me earlier this year who hasn't voted and lived in Michigan since 1998. So you know that they're totally up to speed. Nothing's going to possibly go wrong here. But uh, here we go again, thanks to Town Hall and the Detroit News. Hundreds of Michigan voters who serve in the military or live overseas may soon get ballots that are missing a pretty important name. Mike Pence, on hundreds of ballots, the name of the libertarian vice presidential candidate, Jeremy Cohen, which I'm sure is a household name for all of you, uh, replaced the name 
of Mike Pence. Here's what the Detroit News says. The error occurred with ballots meant to be mailed or emailed to Michigan residents living abroad under the Military and Overseas Empowerment Act, also known as the MOVE Act. Those ballots usually are downloaded by local clerk's offices upon request from an overseas voter and either printed and mailed or downloaded via PDF and emailed to the voter before the election. That raises a whole other series of concerns. But anyway, within a roughly two-hour time frame Tuesday afternoon, ballots downloaded from the state website to be mailed or emailed to those overseas had an error in the presidential race impacting how candidates and running mates were listed, according to an email sent from the state to clerks impacted by the error. Now, the clerk in Michigan is a Democrat named Jocelyn Benson. She and Trump have tussled over Twitter. Her spokeswoman is named Tracy Wimmer. Not Whitmer, Wimmer. But uh, she says there was a temporary error in the qualified voter file data that caused some ballots downloaded Tuesday to display incorrect ballot information when clerks downloaded the ballot to be sent to military and overseas voters, Jim. So at times when we're worried about ballot harvesting, perhaps, or will the signatures match on absentee ballots, the one thing we never considered, or at least I didn't, was can they actually get the names on the ballot right? And so far, at least in parts of Michigan, the answer is no. You know, Greg, um, there are a variety of angles to this story. And one of the things I wonder about, I mean, do we think Jeremy Cohen is going to add some more votes to the Trump pile? <laughs> who is Jeremy Cohen? Jeremy Cohen, if you're out there, he, he wasn't the kid who caught the ball, the yank. No, it's Jeremy Meyer. Okay. So, <laughs> so the first thing that comes to mind, Dear listeners, everything I send off to the editors at National Review, every corner post, every morning jolt, every article, I before I send it off, I read through it for typos. And I can hear all of you right now. Really? You do? Because <laughs> lots seem to get through, Jim. All right, fine. Every issue of the magazine, there's like at least two sets of eyes, in some cases three or four, looking through it, looking for typos, looking for any errors, uh, punctuation, misspelling, uh, anything you know that comes out wrong. Most publications are good about this. You could argue that it's, it's, it's slid. The value of copy editors has uh, uh, has gone down. A lot of newspapers concluded that's where they can cut the staff. And lo and behold, you end up with more headlines referring to the year 200 and stuff like that. But uh, you'd like to think that if you're in charge of sending out ballots for, you know, for a presidential election, for any election, you'd, you'd take the time to look through and say, okay, did we get it? Did we spell president correctly? Did we spell electors correctly? Do any of the lines not line up correctly? Is it clear? Like, th- this is kind of your job. I don't want to use the gif, you had one job, but this is an important one. And you'd like to think they'd look through and they'd say, who's Jeremy Cohen? <laughs> oh, and I also saw Don Blankenship is uh, running for office. You know, maybe this is where we see the end of Cocaine Mish. I don't know. Maybe this is... Uh, <laughs> Look, he can say, what has Blankenship ever done for America? He's given us the cocaine Mitch nickname. That's not nothing. So, But anyway, deeply frustrating. Look, is this probably going to affect any election? No, they're going to put out new ballots. But for people wondering, why are they sending out ballots this early? First of all, like they send out the ballots for uh, military voters very, very early in the process. I think the first available date that they can, because you got to get it out to guys who are out on aircraft carriers and out on naval ships and far away, you know, all around the globe on Air based is all around. So it, it, it's not surprising that they're sending stuff out because of the coronavirus. People are sending out early request ballots a little bit earlier. Uh, up in, in the state of North Carolina, 45,000 people have voted already. The election has begun. People are casting ballots. Um, you're always going to have little mistakes, and it's fine, but it's deeply frustrating. It's not good that it's occurring in what's likely to be an extremely key state this cycle in Michigan. Is this going to turn the election? No, but 
every little mistake is going to undermine public faith in this sort of thing. I don't think anybody's going to, you know, oh, Trump replaced Mike Pence with Jeremy Cohen. I'm not voting for, you know, it's, it's not going to sw- switch anybody's vote. But these sorts of things do undermine faith in the integrity of the election process and really ought to be minimized. And it's kind of inexcusable that nobody looked at this ballot and saw, oh, hey, hey, that doesn't look right. Before we put these in the envelopes, let's check to see if any of the other ones are wrong. And just in case anyone's wondering, I'm not going to vote in Michigan this year, although apparently I could. Even more depressing than not knowing who's running for vice president and actually who is vice president, uh, Gretchen Whitmer's approval rating is 64%. This is a person who wouldn't let you hire people to cut your grass, paint, uh, or buy seeds earlier this year. And uh, she almost killed the Big Ten football season, but that's apparently going to be back next month. But uh, despite all that, two-thirds pretty much uh, saying, hey, bang up job, Gretchen. I guess they're okay with the the boat getting out early, too. (laughs) Obscure reference for probably only our listeners will get. I hope for your sake we don't end up with a way to go, Michigan. Way to go. (laughs) We're on our way. We're on our way. We'll see what the election results produce there because that's how Nevada got that distinction. Jim, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We're always very, very grateful for a kind review and a five-star rating. Remember, you can also get us on those government surveillance devices that you, for some reason, bring into your homes. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.